Welcome to another episode of War Stories. I'm Tom. And I'm Chuck. And uh, we are going to be bringing you a debrief that we didn't get to last week with our, uh, we had a, we had a good questions. I think um, we answered a lot of good questions. Uh, and this week we wanted to cover a video that we posted a while back because it connects to something that uh, is in the news right now with a uh, large Southern California agency who shall remain nameless, but their initials are LAPD. And uh, another group whose initials are BLM. And as our listeners probably know, because it's unavoidable, those two sets of letters generally don't mix well. And uh, and (laughs) yeah, I'll come right off the bat. Uh, I just watched the video time and I just watched it again. It does not look uh, like an abuse of power, excessive force to me. Um, I've worked a major agency, um, and to me, that looks pretty, pretty good. Like it's a pretty good well, use so, of force. So let's compare, I think, um, these videos, or this video with the other video you posted and walk us through so, that <clears throat> other video, because I think it's important to look at these two videos in contrast with one another to see that at any moment, both of those incidents could go either way. Right. One goes right. deadly force. Another one doesn't. But right. Both suspects die ultimately. <clears throat> right. Um, from two different causes. So right. the first video we're going to be this uh, talking about is a, bo- um, uh, a video we posted. Um, it was one of the last videos we posted. It was December 15th and it's still up there and it's still getting traction. Um, uh, police officer comes on a call. Uh, there's a male in a, in a red sweatshirt. Uh, in some shorts comes up, makes contact with him, starts talking, but the guy's bladed. The suspect is now blading his body to where you can only see the left side. You can see his left hand, but you cannot see where his right hand right. is. You cannot see his, like his right quote unquote strong side. Right. And as he's talking, suspect produces a weapon from his waistband, shoots at the police officer. Police officer gets nailed um, and is able to return fire, retreating towards a house just to his right to gain concealment and cover. Um, at that same time, suspect then flees into the police vehicle. Police officer rounds the car that's in the driveway where he's hiding or getting cover and concealment and starts pumping out rounds. He'd already shot a couple times after he got shot, and then he shoots again because now the suspect is now entering his vehicle to steal his mm-hmm. vehicle, right. and um, this police officer is now bleeding out. Uh, suspect then takes off down the road. Uh, officer applies a tourniquet to himself. Subsequently thereafter, um, it looked to be a chase. Uh, the suspect then, um, I guess, gets out of the vehicle from getting hit from inside of the police vehicle um, and ends up dying in a lawn right. from wounds sustained during a gunfight, got lead poisoning. Yep. It's so pretty now, short and sweet. It is pretty short and sweet. Um, let's Let's talk about just that video by itself and what we saw. Um, and then we'll talk about the other video and then we can compare and contrast and why 
people need to take the actions they need to take sometimes. So people who are seeing right. them that may not understand the connections between the two and the mindset of the officers involved um, and how they may seem very different, but they're actually quite similar in how they start, just not how they end. Uh, right. Um, so in, in your video, he goes to contact the suspect in the red hoodie, right? Right. Which was a call. Um, mm-hmm. responded, the officer responded to a 911 call. Uh, the suspect had got into a verbal argument um, with someone and the suspect is in a red um, and red was back to location, scoping out the house. So right. there was no gun involved. However, nope. it was just an argument. So this right. call went from like a eh, whatever kind of call, yeah. a disturbance, to, you know, a disturbance, you know, yeah. to a deadly situation and what a s- couple of seconds. Um, right. right. And the first thing I'm going to, I would like to hit on is complacency, not necessarily tombstone courage, but complacency. Um, you know, at, at first that officer should have been like, Hey, let me see your hands, turn around, turn your body away from me, take your hands out, you know, and should have, should have been a little bit more weary. Um, cause you have a possible, you know, burglary suspect scoping out a house. Right. Um, but at the, at the end of the right. day, it was, and it just the call was just a verbal, but now he's scoping out the house is what the call comes in as. And we've all been there. Law enforcement officers were like, this is bullshit, right? It's just a verbal argument. He's probably just standing outside waiting to come back and like, Hey, let's, let's continue this where we left it off and maybe squabble, but you gotta be able to watch the hands. If you can't watch the hands, hands kill. If you can't see a hand, you need to make sure you can see it during your contact for officer safety reasons. And think of normal human behavior, right? This guy had an argument. Right. Had a verbal. But they're not responding to the initial argument. They're responding to him returning and scoping out the residence after the initial argument. That could be literally like you said, he's coming back to to start the argument over. You want some more? It could be he's he was there to begin with because he had a friend in the area and he's coming back to see the friend. It could be that he left something over there and he needs, we don't know why he was over there to begin with and what the argument started over. And I'm sure the responding officers didn't know either. However, right. Human behavior is such that you need to think like, like that, uh, you know, be polite, be professional, have a plan to kill everyone you meet. You need to think that once an argument's over, I, I can't, I can't honestly tell you, how many times I've ever had an argument with somebody and then gone back to be like, you know what? I need to go back. Right. <laughs> that, that should make the hair on the back of your neck, at least stand up enough to take an extra precaution, right. put your mind in a certain place where you're like, this could be nothing. It could be something. A reasonable, a reasonable person wouldn't go back. Right. A person looking thing. for yeah. a fucking action would go back. Like, right. you know, we're not done. Right. Right. <clears throat> and, you know, it's it's one of those things where I always tell people, uh, you got to look at what a reasonable person would do versus what the person you're facing is doing. You point a gun at somebody and you tell them to get hell. You tell a reasonable person, sit down, shut up, cross your ankles and put your hands behind your back. Don't move. And you're a cop. Uh, it used to be that reasonable people just went, OK, yes, yeah. I will. Well, with the anti-police and, mindset now, it's more like, right. fuck you, you know, right. make me. Right, exactly. And it, it, it's the same disrespectful little attitude you see in juveniles nowadays where they, they used to be that there was an understanding that kids respected adults and what they told them to do 
because if they knew if they didn't, their parents would whoop on them. Right. Right. So there was a respect for authority that's kind of deteriorated in our society over the last decade or two. And maybe because the absentee parents were, it was because kids act like that. Now it's just a fucking culture. Now it's a sense of entitlement. I was born. So now I'm fully aware and capable of making my own decisions. Fuck you. You can't tell me what to do. It's, you know, so when you have that coupled with somebody returning to a scene, um, you have to think, okay, normal people wouldn't necessarily do this. So I have to, I don't have to necessarily like call the SWAT team, but I should at least be a, be a little bit more aware. I should go from, you know, condition green to condition yellow. Right. Or maybe right, this isn't normal uh, right. human behavior. Like Correct. no, no normal person is going to return unless they want to hash some shit out. And the person who called is now worried. Like, okay, this person's come out. Like they're scoping my house. They're looking right. at my house. That right. has me worried. And right. the cops, when they get there should be heightened. Their, their senses should right. be heightened. I'm not saying you come out guns drawn, get the fuck on the ground. I'm just saying, Hey, control the situation. Um, Assert yourself. It's called command presence. Assert yourself. Hey, turn away from me. Remove your hands from your pockets so I can see your hands. Do not put your hands back in your pockets. If you do, I'm going to handcuff you. Yeah. And maintain your no... bladed interview stance with your hands right. up at your chest. You know, maintain a kick and a half, dis- at least a kick and a half distance away. Maintain verbal commands. Maintain, you know, keep that or, that presence ready to go. Even if, even or, though you're being nice right, or polite, not nice, but. Or have them turn away from you and be like, hey, just do me a favor. Turn away from put your hands behind your back. I'm going to pat you down. You're right. not under arrest. Right. I am conducting an investigation. You are being detained. You are not free to leave. At that right. point, you can put handcuffs on. And the only and the only time um, you have to read their rights, because people, don't you have to read the rights? No. Handcuffs plus interrogation means questioning. Like when, if you start to interrogate someone and they are handcuffed, you have to yes. read them a Miranda. Right. But you do not need to read the Miranda. You can, as long as you have uh, articulable reasons why you can detain someone, which I just gave them to you. You can handcuff someone and it makes it safe for officer safety. And now you can pat that down, not now, go inside their pockets, but pat them down for weapons. But go with your own agencies, like know your agency's policies right. because awesome. every agency is different, right? Like, yes, legally. Can you justify a handcuffs at, during a detention? Absolutely. Have, did I handcuff everybody I detained? Not, not no. at all. But not you at can all. Articulate it We're just telling person. you that there that you need to know your policies you need right. to know your agency's procedures you need to know your skills and capabilities you need to know how far your backup is and you need to know what you're investigating right all right. of the, the 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 beautiful phrase that we all learned the totality of circumstances has to come into play when you're doing this right and you know so how this many guy times, good I mean, you know how many times we've we've talked to suspects who had guns on them and they were like they're like, why didn't we were like, why didn't you pull it out after everything was, you know, code four is all said and done. And you're like, well, the, the officer came, you had great command presence, like, and then they didn't say it that way. We're using our terminology, good right. command presence. And he let me know he was, I knew he meant business around right. and I didn't want to die. Um, cause I didn't think that I could get one over on him. So I went with long with the program, you know, I yeah. just, I didn't feel like dying today and you know, and you're like, oh really? Okay. Mm-hmm. So looking good and having good command presence allows that suspect to know this guy means fucking right. business. This gal means business. I'm going to go along with it. And then immediately, once you do that and you're like, Hey, turn around, let me see your hands, take them out of your pockets, put them behind your back. If they're like, fuck you at yeah. that point, you know, mm-hmm. something's wrong. And then you can go to a little bit more like, Hey man, like, some distance, let me see your fucking grab your hands. gun, let me like see your hands. 
yeah, your gun you can, out and you're like, let me see your hands now. Cause mm-hmm. now you can start those building blocks of articulating why I unholstered. Right. He wasn't going along with the program. He said, fuck you. And he's hiding his hand. You need his to fists are clenched. Because- his jaw is set. His exactly. knuckles are white. His is bladed. Like all those things come into being. Now exactly. this guy, he goes bladed and then draws, man. It's fast from fast. Draw. So, so this officer has very little time to react. And as we've said right. on this close. show, action beats reaction every time and twice on Sunday. Right. So the suspect's action here dictates the officer's reaction, and there's nothing anybody can do or say about it, right? Right, and the suspect shoots from a close contact from the hip, mm-hmm. striking the officer in his, uh looks to be his left leg. Right. So once that once the suspect's decided it's his deadly force, then it's on. Deadly force. Right. Yeah. It's... It's now, there, you know. Let's go through it real quick before we go back to the other one. We 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 go through all that because as Chuck said, the the rest of what the officer does is is textbook. He retreats to cover and concealment. He returns fire. He puts effective rounds on the suspect. The, he sees that the suspect's going to go into his patrol vehicle. He knows what that that means. He could use the there's vehicle as a weapon. There's guns. there's guns. There's all kinds of things in the patrol vehicle. So the officer knows he's hit right advances you know makes more effective rounds on target and then steps back assesses the situation applies a tourniquet to himself right Mm -hmm. and all the time he's got he's got pretty good radio traffic can all things considered i mean it's not it's pretty good it's not phenomenal right it's not like holy shit this guy's cold (laughs) as ice but getting shot has that effect on you right yeah so getting shot having to put on a tourniquet having to return fire and having to make sure this guy doesn't steal your other, you know, your patrol rifle or your shotgun or your police car. Like those are, you know, you're spinning plates at that point, bro. You're, it, you're a, right. You're a freaking pilot in a dog fight. You're just doing it on foot. Exactly. Um, and let me, let me put this to bed real quick. Cause then people are gonna be like, well, you shot him. He went to your car and you shot him. He wasn't shooting at you at that point. No, but it's a violent escape from a violent fleeing felon. If he just shot at a cop, He's going to do it again. Now I'm giving him access to more guns, more weapons, and a police vehicle with emergency equipment. What stops him from going and killing another cop? Nothing. Yeah. So there we have the, a violent escape from a fleeing felon. Violent escape from a fleeing felon. We are allowed to use deadly force. There was already okay. a deadly force situation. And then that's just to put that to bed. So no one's like, well, what the fuck? No. But here's here's the other factor. Guys, the car is a deadly weapon. Yes. This officer has been shot. This guy's mm-hmm. already demonstrated a willingness to use deadly force against a co- police officer. Right, right, if he, right. if that car, let's say the car started, the keys are in it. Sometimes we leave our cars running because we can't let the batteries die because we have the MDT going and the, all this other stuff. So let's say the suspect gets in the car, gets it started and decides to drive over the officer. Do, do suspects do that? They do it all the freaking time. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay? So there's so much to articulate why you put rounds on target when this guy is going to take your car, right? The the access to weaponry, his ability to be a, a, a violent felon fleeing the scene of a crime and it presenting a pup, you know, an imminent danger to public safety. The fact that he could be using the car against you. There's so many things that are you're perceiving as a threat at that point that that's why you put effective rounds on target. You, he, the suspect goes down. The, the situation is handled. The suspect ends up bleeding out on somebody's lawn. Good job on the officer by saving his own life and right. saving the lives of the members of his community by putting down this goblin who had decided today was his day, right? That None of that's the officer's fault. All of this is his reaction to the suspect's actions. So let's right. keep that in mind. Number one, 
it started out as just contact a guy who's returning to the scene of a verbal altercation with no other reason other than, hey, this guy and I got into an argument earlier and now he's back. Can you please come and contact him? Then it could have been as simple as, hey, what are you doing here? Oh, I forgot something here. All right. Well, you're making the you had a, an argument here earlier. So I'm going to watch you get your shit and go because you're not wanted here. Right. It could have been that simple and done. And then the guy's off, you know, gone. Right. Cop mania to even search him <clears throat> and find the gun. Who knows? But that's not what happened. Suspect decides that it was his day, right? He says, today is the day. And once the suspect decides that, the officer has no say in that decision-making process. He only has a say in how he reacts to that decision-making process. And how many times, because I know I've been there, when I'm talking about complacency, how many times have cops been complacent? And I'm talking about me, you, anyone who's listening that's in this line of work, how many times have you gotten a call like that and you just drive up and you're like, hey, man, what are you doing here? And you're talking from your window or you're like, you get out of here. The guy doesn't want you here. And the guy leaves. Do not be complacent. Do not just come up willy nilly. Don't drive up on someone and talk to him from your car. You have to have all these things in mind. Complacency kills. And this almost took complacency almost took this officer's life. He got really close to the suspect, you know, and granted, it happened really quick. But you I would, if if I was his sergeant, I'd be like, look, good job. You did everything great. One problem. You have a little bit of complacency contacting the suspect um, and you, you made it out lucky, but you got fucking shot. You need to, to be mindful of who you're looking at and who you're talking to, you know, especially if someone's looking into houses, scoping something out after an argument, they could be looking at an entry point to come in and fuck someone up because I know in the area I worked, Home invasion robberies, not a burglary, but a home invasion robbery where you commit a burglary. Everyone's like, my house was robbed. No, it was burglarized. No one was home. As soon as someone's home, it's a robbery. How many times have I seen home invasion robberies where they were targeted, where they got tied up and the right. shit kicked out? According to California law, that, there's the, the big difference, right? A burglary versus yeah, yeah. a robbery. So but in this case, that. yeah, in this case, I think, and when we say complacency, we don't know. We're not saying we know what was going on in the officer's mindset. We're looking no, at this yeah. from the overhead. The officer might have been like when he gets interviewed about it, he's like, yep, I knew he was just one step ahead of me. Right. Like mm-hmm. before I could like I was I was moving in to take those steps. And before I could even do it, he like it was the fight was on. We don't know. Right. Um, he may work in an area where everybody else was busy on a call and he's the only one available. And so he's got to handle his business again. Don't know any of that stuff. We're just saying that from from the I'm coming into this cold. I have no idea what's going on. These are the things that we could perceive as issues, right? Yeah. Now you cut to this video from LAPD. Now here is I'm going to give you the sticky part politically of this video right here. Number one, the guy that they contact happens to be the cousin of the founder of BLM of Black Lives Matter not the Bureau of Land Management, (laughs) okay? (laughs) He just happens to be the cousin of the founder of Black Lives Matter. So automatically right there, this shit has gotten political, period, end of story, right? Um, We dealt with something similar in our county where there was a, a, a guy who was getting arrested and he died during the arrest who was a member of a local outlaw motorcycle gang, right? And they were not, the hell's angels but they were an affiliate club a lower level like like when the hell's angels come through they're allowed they they're allowed to party with them kind of a club right they were shitheads right 
But the officers that went to arrest him coincidentally, right, were members of a local group of police officers that rode motorcycles together and had leather vests with patches. So they were their own motorcycle club. And when a police motorcycle club that bears a similarity visually to an outlaw motorcycle gang or an outlaw motorcycle club, or even, you know, a, you know, a minor, not even outlaw, just a shithead motorcycle club per se. Those two groups had been at events together because motorcycle riders go to all the same events. Well, there had been, you know, squabbles like, fuck you guys. Well, fuck you guys. Right. Because the shitheads aren't going to like the cop group and the cop group aren't going to like the shitheads. Instantly, because the officers involved in the arrest were from that police motorcycle club and the other guy was from the shithead motorcycle club and the guy dies, it instantly becomes a case of, oh, my God, this was retribution. This was their club going after our club. Whether that's the case or not, that's the perception. Well, because BLM has a contentious relationship with LAPD and this guy's the cousin of the Black Lives Matter founder, it's instantly going to turn into right, wrong, or indifferent. It's instantly going to turn into this was done on purpose. Do do you think that that – well, I'm getting ahead of myself. Let's talk about the video. Chuck, explain to us what what they're watching because we're going to post the video um, when this episode comes out. We'll post the relevant clip of – how the contact begins all the way up to where the, the taser starts because you don't, it's, it's a long video. You don't need to see the whole thing. Right. I'll clip it up. Um, and, uh, but yeah. Um, so it's a, a motor unit for Los Angeles police department and it's a juice watch unit. Um, there is a DUI TC, uh, it's traffic collision, um, that, that had happened when the motor officer gets on scene, uh, contacts some dude running in the street. Um, He's like, there's a crash over there. There's a crash over there. So the motor unit kind of goes over to the crash. They're like, no, that's the dude. So he right. goes back towards the guy running in the middle of the street, acting a little off. He goes, get on the get on the sidewalk, goes to contact him, wants him to go over to the wall. Suspect refuses and sits down. He's like, all right, cross your legs. And, and keep going. When him. you watch the video, he's frantic. This guy's in a very manic, like he doesn't seem drunk. He Looks seems 11, manic. And when you see, when you've, when you've dealt with enough people who are 11, 5, 50, is the used to be the way you arrested somebody for being into the influence of drugs. Now in right. California, it's not, I mean, it's a joke but, to arrest anyway, but, but yeah. you used to be, you know, so anyway, when you see this guy and you've worked with people who are high on drugs enough, you go, mm, if this is a DUI crash investigation, I'm not looking for DUI alcohol. I think I'm looking for DUI drugs. Right. And I think that, that uh, motor unit, it became super apparent to him the moment he started talking. Yep. Fast speech, pa- fast speech, fast paced pacing, speech, um, uh, frantic, you know, yep. looking back and forth. You know, right. his eyes are dark in his head, paranoia. So he's like, immediately, I can guarantee you that that motor officer, because he's dealt with probably thousands of these, is like, we have drugs involved. Puts mm-hmm. it out over the radio. Hey, I'm with the suspect. Give me an additional unit. Um, should have put out a backup. But here's the thing these motor officers have dealt with so many of these things. Ask the suspect to sit in the ground and he talks to him for seven minutes, not handcuffed. The reason right. why he didn't handcuff him, because people are like, what the fuck? Why didn't he just handcuff him? You could have. However, <clears throat> he wants to do an SFST, standardized field sobriety test. 
And it's very difficult to put handcuffs on and take handcuffs off. However, in this case, I would have handcuffed them and done the sobriety test back at the station because you can articulate those facts. Hey, he was frantic. He was, he's, I didn't want him to bolt on me, yada, yada. Mm -hmm. So motor officer doesn't do it because he's, you know, he's a motor officer. He's like, I'm here for a deuce. I'm going to do an SFST. I just want him to calm down. He's a little bit amped up, just involved in accident, tries talking to him. And then this guy's going on a ramble of people are out to get me. Um, seven minutes later, suspect gets up, takes off running motor unit. He doesn't give, give foot chase. He hops back on his bike like any good motor unit would do and goes and contacts him in the middle of an busy intersection. Uh, now, I want to a... back you up real quick because I think something you said is resonating with me, which is when you said handcuffing and unhappy handcuffing somebody can be difficult. You don't just mean physically, right? I, I obviously there are physical, you know, there are physical, uh, problems associated with that but yes legally speaking uh you know when you're talking about handcuffing somebody then unhandcuffing them with the idea that you may have to re-handcuff them in the future here's the deal man when the handcuffs go on they stay on until you either a go to jail or b are released Period. End of right. story. You and do not to, handcuff somebody and they'd be like, okay, it's cool now. And then you unhandcuff yeah. them, do your investigation. Right. They'd be like, now nah, I'm going to handcuff you again. It, it's number one, it's bad for officer safety. And number two, it's, it, it doesn't look great in court. Like there are legal reasons. There are safety reasons. And you know, then, uh, so when, when Chuck says it's difficult to handcuff and unhandcuff and then re-handcuff people, he's not talking about like the, the actual physical act of handcuffing. I could, I could right. handcuff people all day long and take them off. It's not a problem. This right. is we're talking about, have, yeah, officer safety and legal issues. Right. Personally, I would have handcuffed him and started looking at him and talking to him once handcuffed after I patted him down right. um, because I believed him to be under the influence. But here's the here's the sticky fucking shit of that. The reason why he didn't handcuff him probably right away is because you have to have clear and articulable facts that he's under arrest for driving under the influence. And if you cannot conduct a field sobriety test, how do you clearly articulate that? Well, if it's drugs, which immediately I go to drugs. Tom went to drugs. We both have similar training. Yeah. I would have handcuffed and be like, no, he's deuce. And under, he's under the influence of narcotics, an unknown narcotic. I can do part of that um, 11550 just by looking at the eyes and, mm -hmm. and checking pupils and things like that. Mm -hmm. So immediately that's my brain's already moving fast. I'd have been like, no, handcuff. You're under right. the influence of narcotics. I'm going to handcuff you. Fuck the field sobriety test. You are too erratic right now to be able to do it. And because of these reasons, I am detaining you. Now, I'm not saying that this uh, motor officer's Mary Queen unit did not have those capabilities because I know he does. I know he's really well trained. He's trained in 11550. He's trained in DUIs extensively, and he probably has more DUIs than I ever would want to do in my life. Um, but he's just trying to go through the motions, get him to calm down. And unfortunately, it's going to bite him in the ass because the dude takes off. Well, he hops right. back on his bike. He contacts a suspect in the middle of a busy intersection. Um, that's when another unit, an LAPD unit, two man unit rolls up and he's like, Hey, get on the ground, get on the ground. Guys like, fuck you. I'm sitting on my butt, like you <laughs> right. know, whatever. And not going with the program, you know, he sits down, but he's, he's frantic. The other officers get there. They go to go hands on. He's already given the verbal warning. I'm going to tase you. If you do not comply, get on the ground, put your stomach on the, or put your chest on the ground, face down on the ground guys, not going to bring you. I'm going to tase you. They go hands on and 
he actively resists, not necessarily fighting, but it's running a really close gray line. It's on that line of right. I'm fighting or I'm just resisting because he's pulling his arms away. He's using his body. He's rigid. He's tensing up. And then when they try to roll him onto his stomach, he immediately shoves his hands under his his uh, torso, tries to push off and then he rolls on the officer. Mm -hmm. At this point, you are basically going to fight because now, now you're rolling, you're throwing your elbows, you're throwing your shoulders. And if anybody knows anything about anything about fighting, if you catch someone with an elbow or you catch someone with a good shoulder, oh, you check, split your eye open, you, you can split your, your nose. chin, your eye, your yep. nose. It's Not, fucked. So fight on at fucked. that point. And he's like, I'm going to tase you. I'm going to tase you. They're trying to gain uh, control of the suspect. There's three officers trying to gain control of him. It's like, I'm going to fucking tase you. Let's all the other officers know I'm going to tase him. Great verbal communication, tases the suspect into the chest um, and the target area, then uh, with darts, removes, not removes it, but moves the actual taser to a different portion of his body to get uh, a better connection because he just did a close contact shot with two darts. And now he wants to get that neuromuscular incapacitation. So then he puts it to his back and, you know, lower part of his back to try to get him to comply. And I counted the tasings. There was five that, that we could not see. Yeah. Yeah, right. It's what we can see. And then we stopped the video. To me, that is not excessive. Um, well, let's back up a second because I want people to understand, too. Right. Chuck and I actually debated the word fight when we were watching yeah. the video live together. Um, and this is this is, I think, important because I want you guys to understand that my training and experience and Chuck's training and experience are similar but different. Chuck's mindset, my mindset. Similar, but also different, right? I I have a, a different set of standards in my mind, those those lines in the sand, if you will, that I draw, and Chuck has his, right? And they're all based on Chuck's experiences on the road and my experiences on the road and my experiences right. as an instructor and his experiences as an instructor and involved in critical instances. So Chuck looks at the incident and you know, we were just talking and he he goes, Oh, he's starting to fight. I'm all, I don't know. I think, I think he's just resist. And then he's like, oh yeah. And so we went back and forth at what point is, you know, you got passive resistance. Put your hands behind your back. No active resistance. I'm going to make you put your hands behind your back. Stiff arm. Also, like no, rigid. not swinging. Right. He's not swinging. Maybe he's pulling away. Well, that's active. He's doing something to resist you actively, not just failure to comply. Right. The moment his actions become offensive offensive instead of defensive the moment they become aggressive like reaching for you grabbing right? you not reaching away from you reaching no. for you not pulling his hand away from you pushing his hand towards you right or grabbing your items on your belt grabbing things on your belt when he's when he's on his stomach and he starts to roll over to face you right everybody knows try having somebody on their stomach is you know pinning them right you're they can't fight from their stomach. Right. The second they try to roll onto their back, they want to be able to make contact contact with you. They want to have their hands in the fight. So you guys <laughs> also got to recognize the suspect's movements can dictate the direction that the fight goes. And when that it's, it's a very fluid thing. When does it go from passive resistance to active resistance? When does it go from active resistance to actual fighting? Right. To aggressiveness, to aggressive combativeness, right. to actual combativeness. And there's the biggest thing that the BLM is, is trying to say, oh, well, because I was involved in the incident. I think we're going to talk about it. But w w at what point, because my the agency, as I was a part of, OK, would say, well, you need to transition to an, a new weapon system after, you know, so many tases doesn't work. OK, well, how many is too many? All right. Well, 
and, and at what point do I transition if if it's not working? At what point do I just go to head strikes or what time? At what point do I go to breaking limb or to hitting them with a baton or something like that? Because I would say if you're going to be transitioning to something other than a taser, if he's not complying, like you've really got to be either good at some jujitsu or you got to bring your baton yeah, out you and have you have some to skills. under under his arm and you have to utilize the baton as a controlling agent. Uh, but at some points when you have someone under the influence of narcotics, a taser is the best option. Um, and you could try to blind him with pepper spraying and try to go to bed that, that way. But this, again, the suspect's actions dictate our actions. And I would say if you're going to switch to a different, um, weapon system, it's only going to get escalated from there and it's going to get worse. Right. And the suspect got tased five times. He got tased a few times before you know, they got their his hands a couple times, like twice. Then they got to control of his hands. We're trying to put handcuffs on. He's still tasing. He gets tased again. And then as we're getting close, he he's still he's still squirming and still you know trying to pull away. Gets tased again. And then um, he tased him one more time as the handcuffs are going on. And I, and then it stops. And he's done. Okay. And if you look at a lot of these incidents where suspects are fighting and stuff like that, and they get tased, and as soon as the handcuffs go on, the tasing is stopped. I mean, that's good police work. Things can happen with tasers just because you register a taser and it goes, oh, it says five, six times. Oh, that's bad. Okay. Well, maybe, maybe when he rolled, one of the prongs came out. So now I'm having to do drive stung close contact where I'm only getting um, a small portion of pain compliance with the taser because it's no longer has a connection for a neuromuscular incapacitation, you know? Um, and then they get him in, you know, they, they get him in, in cuffs, they handcuff him, and then he later dies of what a cardiac arrest, not from the, the the officer's right. actions but because he had utilized narcotics and gave himself a heart attack um did you watch the the, the rest of the video they get an ra and things like that and yeah oh and no that's the thing they don't they don't like treat this guy like shit they no he, okay and i'll give you okay at one even point, they're, trying the to says, they're trying to george floyd me oh, fuck. and that's not good and then he here's dies. the thing here's the thing I saw an officer with his elbow on the guy's shoulder and chest and up into the chin, right? Now, at that point, the suspect is still talking, right? So he's still breathing. He's not, he's not choking. He's not aspirating. He's not, his breathing is not being restricted in any way, shape, or form. He is, you can clearly see the light in his eyes, the breath going in and out because he's yelling, right? Right. But they're doing, but head you know what? His, his partner, says on camera watch your elbow watch your elbow watch your elbow right right that's good part because they're that's good part it's a great partner because he's trying to let him know like i see i see it i see it i see it i don't want it to become something it like more shouldn't be more right, right? and he, i don't think he means like watch your elbow on purpose i think he means you're in a precarious spot right be careful be mindful. because be mindful right exactly that's that's my perception of it. And I don't know, and, Chuck, you probably got the same because that's yeah, and, I, being a good partner. And I look at it, I'm like, oh, he's trying to do a good uh, head displacement technique that we all learn in um, mm -hmm. Archon and in, in, in the academy and as, you know, instructors and things like that. Um, you know, we we learn in, in defensive tactics how to do head displacements on the ground to get that person's head away from you because you don't want to get spit. You don't want to get any like biological fucking bloodborne bullshit in your in your system, like HIV, AIDS, hepatitis, you know, anything like that. And you don't want to get bit. Right. So you do a good head displacement. Um, you know, if he's doing a head displacement, and his partner sees is getting kind of close to like, oh, dude, hey, watch it. Watch it. Hey, good. Thanks. 
you know, um, I think that they, they handled the situation really well. You know, they got the medical treatment, everything went according to plan. Yeah. He tased him five times. He's going to have to articulate that. Um, but if you have an active suspect and, it, and if the agency tries to come back and be like, well, you should transition to something else. My question for the agency is what would he have transitioned to? What else do you want him to do? You want him to punch the suspect in the face? Well, no, I don't think that's going to work. You want him to hit him with a baton? No, I don't think that's going to work. You want to spray him in the face and contaminate the other uh, other two officers down on the yeah, ground. So you better not pepper spray nobody with me around because I'm going to get Fuck pissed. no, dude. You don't pepper spray someone when they're fighting on the ground. That's done. You're that, That's no longer an option. So the only other option that you really have would be pull your baton out, right, and utilize it under the suspect's arms. But if he's... He's this strong and, and he's, you know, constantly rolling on you and you don't get it right. Now he's got a baton as a weapon. And now that just went from a use of force to a deadly force situation real fucking quick if you lose that baton. So I see why they stuck with the taser and I don't have any fucking problem with it. You know, the only other problem is, is you know, trying to, you know, do a knee you know, and, and try to get that suspect, to, you know, on the ground and to comply a little bit better, you know, and then they took they with because of the George Floyd incident, let me let me just tackle this real quick. Because of the George Floyd incident, placing someone in an arm lock or an arm bar with your knees on their middle of their back and the other knee on the back of their uh, not necessarily neck, but in between their shoulder blades, mm-hmm. and your shin is right next to their head, and the arm is in between your crotch, and you're able to squeeze your thighs together as where well, apply pressure down onto the suspect's back, mid-back, and, and uh, upper back between the shoulder blades, maybe upper portion of the neck area, lower portion of the neck area, and you're able to squeeze those together and then jol- um, bring your hips forward, pushing the arm forward, allowing yourself to get into a good arm lock because of the George Floyd incident. Those are not necessarily utilized anymore because of slips onto the neck. And mm-hmm. a lot of agencies are going away from that. All right, well, when you start taking taking options away from the cops and now they're just left with a fucking taser or we're going to be throwing blows on the ground what would you rather get fought like get all these punches from three people on your face and in your body and knees or would you rather get tased i would rather just go along with the fucking program and just be like all right i'm done but you have a suspect under the influence of an unknown narcotic we with our training experience know that a suspect under the influence of an unknown narcotic um, have superhuman fucking strength. They are stronger mm. than they normally are, especially mm-hmm. if they don't want to go to jail. So now you're left with, okay, well, the only really option we have is tase. All right. And right. that seems to be working because every time I tase, we get a little bit more of an inch. We get a little bit more of an inch. We just need a few more and boom, we got him under control. Once you get him under control, he can still thrash and fight on the ground. And then you might have to use a lot of body weight, but it's kind of hard when the suspect's facing you, you know, body weight, you know, it's, it's, it's difficult. I mean, they could have, they could have, uh, and I couldn't really see what the other officer was doing. Maybe he had control of his legs and stuff like that, and, and you know, trying to do all that. But dudes on 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 drugs are really hard to control, and I think yep. five five tasings is is pretty good. They get him under control. Boom! It's not the cops' fault that he died. Cops get a medical treatment. They go from there. It, the cops didn't force him to take narcotics. That lays on the suspect. And it's not again. So this is why we want to. I think compare these two because this is where we'll get into okay what does this 11550 tasing dies drug influence combination you know whatever the coroner is going to decide what does that have to do with this guy who was there who just all of a sudden opens fire at the cop well both police officers respond to a situation that 
nine times out of 10, 99 times out of 100, 999 times out of 1,000 is going to go according to Hoyle. It's going to go fine. It's not going to go sideways, right? Right. But that one friggin' time, right? We used to, we have a t-shirt that says it's going to go sideways, right? You have to be prepared for everything to go sideways. And you have to be prepared for it to go sideways in the worst possible way. And the reason I say that is because both officers go up and confront a suspect or a, 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 a subject initially, right? This guy's not right. a suspect of anything. He's just there at this house after an argument. He's just, hey, contact him, find out what he's doing. He's a subject, not a suspect. There's no crime for him to be a suspect of yet. This other one. The, the, now you have a possible suspect because he gets to a DUI crash. He the guy says, yeah, the crash is over there. At that point, he's just a subject until they go to the crash and they're like, that's the guy. Now he's identified right. as a suspect. So he goes and he contacts him again. And in either case, the guys are fuck you. Don't touch me. Don't talk like they're they're not right, right. initially cooperating. Oh, well, one guy blades himself off, draws and fires, done. And he hits the cop. You know, it's a gun battle, right? This the other one, he goes up and contacts the guy, and the guy's pacing. And at any point during that contact with the BLM cousin founder, with that suspect, at any point, that guy, if he had a gun, could have just turned and opened fire. In fact, Chuck, Chuck and I were talking to when the, when the guy rides his bike and the guy goes out into traffic. Again, not a rational move, right? Most of us. When we're contacted by the police, well, first of all, the guy was like, oh, they're trying to kill me. Who's trying to kill you? CeeLo's right. trying to kill me. It's like he's he's got rambling, like insane rambling. Drugs. Uh, you know, you start thinking drugs. Then the guy goes out in the middle of the street. Again, not normal average person behavior. Just right. go out in the middle of the street when the cops say you get sit down on the fucking sidewalk so we can talk. <laughs> At one point, he gets in the street in a left turn lane and he's standing in front of a Tesla and the officer is facing the suspect. And on the other side of the suspect is this Tesla coupe or Tesla sedan. And the guy in the Tesla just starts backing up. <laughs> He's like, I don't want to be in the way of this shit. Like, I mean, if, if this goes, that even the Tesla owner recognizes if this goes sideways, the officer decides to draw on fire. I am going, I'm in the line of fire. I'm in the background of those bullets. Right. 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 Even when, even a guy in a Tesla who sees this shit go down, realizes this could turn into a shooting real quick. What do you think the officer's thinking? Right. And the officer controls right. himself. The officer tries to handle the situation when he's solo, when he's by himself. So, when you see an officer who's like putting a gun to somebody and sitting him on the ground and handcuffing him and doing all that stuff for his officer safety, it's because if you look at both of these incidents, they both start out with go contact that guy and see what's up. And I'll tell and you what else they have. In both common. go sideways real fucking fast in completely yeah. different ways. What both have in common is why we're going to kind of bring it up is command presence yep. right off of the bat. And, or the, I should say the lack thereof. Now, look, I'm not saying this LAPD copper was did a shitty job. No, he did a good job. He did a good job. However, I have seen motor officers more often than not not have the best command presence. And I've seen some that are gung-ho motherfuckers like, dudes, they scare me. And I'm like, I start putting my hands behind my back. And I'm like, wait, I'm the cop. You know, like <clears> – <throat> So it's, 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 and I know, I know the reason why the motor officer is like a little bit more relaxed because he's trying to calm the person down and he's dealt with hundreds and thousands of these DUIs. So he's a little bit more complacent with the situation. Well, tombstone courage, complacency kills all very bad, bad, bad things to have. 
And I think just upping a little bit more of the uh, command presence and drawing back on the complacency just a little bit, you would have had uh, maybe a better um, outcome because what happens when you give someone time? They have time to react. They have time to think. If you take away that time and you are able to come to that rationalization really quick and you're like, hey, I know exactly what I have. I know what I'm going to do. I know that I can place my handcuffs. I'm going to do it now for officer safety purposes because of the frantic because of the eyes darting back and forth because of the paranoia i have at 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 worst i have um uh under the influence of unknown narcotic dui suspect who just crashed into sus someone or a family so i have that right so i can handcuff right or i at at worst or at worst uh dare i say at worst at best you you have um a possible 5150 yeah who you need to get treatment or medical help so no matter what handcuffs need to go on now, sometimes when you have deuces, just straight alcohol, they're belligerent and fucked up and they can't complete an SFSD. So you do need to handcuff them. But there are most times when you're doing an SFSD, before you you handcuff, you want to do that SFSD so that you can have those articular reasons why you're putting the handcuffs on. But if you already have those and it's it's looking kind of scary and you're the hairs in the back of your neck, the spidey senses is going off, dude, just fucking handcuff. Look, just handcuff. Now you I'm know, gonna give you an alternate can come take. on. Go off just as much as they go on, yeah. but utilize your training and experience and, and just have a little bit more command presence because who knows now we're just sitting in our, our chairs right now talking about us, yeah. kind of quarterbacking it. We're but, quarterbacking it through the armchair, but this is how debriefs happen. This is how right. good conversations happen. This is how we learn. Maybe if he would, they would have just had a little bit more command presence. Copper wouldn't get, have gotten shot. And that dude maybe still would have had a cardiac arrest, but maybe it wouldn't have been under those precarious circumstances. However, I think he was still going to fight. I don't, I, I think if you would have tried to put handcuffs on, it would have been a fight no matter what. And the tasing would have happened no matter what. Um, so sometimes it's just a shitty situation and we have to take action. Now I'm going to give you the alternate take that I'm, is something for you guys to chew on, but also something maybe for Chuck and I to discuss real quick. Cause like we said, this is why you debrief things is to discuss. I don't know that I'm comfortable using the word complacency in this situation, because I don't know that the motor officer was complacent necessarily. But it is entirely possible that he was complacent. It's also entirely possible that due to the shift in culture and due to police officers being hesitant to assert authority and 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 be more hug a thug because their agency, their doctrine of their agency, the 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 way the agency is pushing them and then the the fear of how the public's going to perceive them, especially. That officer knows his own skin color. He also knows the skin color of the suspect he's talking to. All those things are going to come into play. And so it's entirely possible that when this officer contacts his suspect, he's trying to maybe to his own detriment, go with a lower level of command presence deliberately, not by, not by complacency, not through complacency, not through laziness, not through any sort of like, I've done this a bazillion times. No, but more a conscious decision to fuck a man. I gotta, I gotta handle this as low as humanly possible because I don't want it. I don't, I don't want fried to get fried now. So that is in some ways, even more dangerous than complacency. I would say that then it then may, okay, not necessarily officer complacency, but agency complacency onto the officer. And the officer is now taking a little bit more of a lax stance but I would still say that is in the realm of complacency and borderline because now you are lowering lowering yeah. everything 
but I think it's I, more it's like Vietnam where guys technique. go into combat and they may want but, like I, I, I guys and <laughs> the guys go into combat and they're handcuffed by the rules of engagement and they want to engage. They want to go aggressive. They want to go hard, but their freaking hands are tied. One hand tied behind right. their back, both hands tied behind their back. So I don't want to put all this on the officer. We don't know. We didn't interview him. We didn't I mean, talk to yeah, him. And I'm not trying to. I'm no, just trying to think. No, like, but I know, know. The, the word complacency. Fuck, when we but, talk about complacency, a, a lot of cops are going to be like, well, fuck, dude, I wasn't being complacent. That's this is all I'm allowed to do. Right. You go back to Rodney King, the cops. They said this is all we're allowed to do. That's it's kind of not, like a form of complacency, just not brought upon by the officer, but brought, brought upon by the agency. Well, it's compliance. Like to you need that, to right? get in line or get out. Right. They they want right. you to dumb so down. dangerous. It's dangerous. dangerous. And at least this anyway. shit, I'm not saying the officer did anything wrong. I think he did a fantastic stellar job. I just think if maybe if you'd have been like, hey, like nobody had like quicker or handcuffed the suspect quicker, maybe it wouldn't have happened. Or maybe that that it would have given the suspect less time to think or, you know, maybe this wouldn't have happened. But we're just sitting here, you know, trying to bring up all these fucking points because it gets people thinking, gets people talking. And it gets, you know, if this person watches it, who's involved yeah. in that goes, you know what? Fuck. Yeah. You know what? Fuck it. I'm just going to start handcuffing everyone. Fuck it. Whatever. Yep. That's the safest option. Yep. But And then then you look at an agency such as the LAPD. We're like, well, de-escalation, de-escalation, de-escalation. Okay. Well, look, if there's this time and a point where de-escalation doesn't work and there's situations where de-escalation doesn't work, there are also people that de-escalation doesn't work on. You can try to de-escalate someone who's frantic and manic uh, because of drugs or because of drug-induced psychosis. You can try. There was a day where you could walk outcome. up to somebody and be super polite and be like, sir, you do me a favor and sit down, cross your ankles and put your hands behind your back. I'd really appreciate it. And if you don't, I'm just going to beat the shit out of you. Do you understand? <laughs> there was there was a day when that was socially acceptable. And guess what? If they didn't, you could escalate to beat like you could escalate to putting them on their ass and 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 being like, hey, didn't I warn you? And then a little bit of pain and a little bit of, of, of freaking attitude adjustment, what we call the tune up. Meant that the next time they contacted a cop, they didn't act like that. We have, we have lost that right, wrong or indifferent. We've lost that. <laughs> so, true. yeah. So we just wanted to talk about that. And I think as we close out this debrief, uh, cause we're, we're running out of time and, and, uh, I, I think the takeaway from me and I, maybe the, the takeaway from Chuck is a little different, but the takeaway from me is for the people out there that don't understand, this is a little bit of insight into the things that are not that what you're seeing on camera doesn't tell the whole story. There is a whole other factor of cops playing out scenarios in their head and knowing that it could play out 75 different ways and 74 of them end up with me really hurt or possibly dead. So I'm going to go and do what I need to do because as my dad told me, a good cop eats, Days dry and goes home at the end of his shift. And you know what I thought about real quick? Sorry to cut you off, but it just popped in my head. No, the reason why you probably didn't handcuff him right off the bat is not because he didn't want to or because he didn't think he had enough. Because I know he knows. I know for his training experience. I know his training experience. I know he has enough. I know he's smart. I know the knowledge. Um, he doesn't have a partner either. So mm-hmm. we can be looking yeah. at that. He's sitting there for seven minutes. And you don't handcuff by yourself if you can avoid it. He may and be stalling for time. There's a culture that used to be, hey, give me an additional unit. And you hear that and you're like, okay, it's what we used to call code two high. It's yeah. not code three yet, but it's close nope. to being a backup. Um, 
And somebody picks up the radio, they buy the backup and they roll and they do not pass go. They do not collect $200. They maybe put their excuse me's on to clear intersections or or flip U-turns. They maybe go 65 and a 40, you know, whatever it is. But the point was, is that you put it out on the radio that you were responding and you got there. Do not pass go, do not collect $200. Certain policies and certain agencies that no longer exists. Yep. Maybe it still does with certain officers, but you can't just throw your lights on in certain agencies anymore because of the camera turns on. And then you have to just, you have to be able to articulate why you did that. Well, I was going to hear it was, it was an additional unit. It was basically like a backup. Like I could hear it in his voice. Okay. Well then upgrade it to a backup. If you want to use your lights, I think officers who are working in agencies like that, Hey, give me an additional unit at eh, no. How about I have a uh, suspect who's under the influence of a narcotic. Give me a backup. Right. Because you know if that's what your policy is going to go sideways because I right. don't have another officer here. I want to detain this suspect. I want to put handcuffs on him. And I know if I go hands on right now by myself, it puts me in a detriment. It puts me behind the curve and it puts me in a disastrous situation where I could get hurt. The suspect can get hurt and it could lead to a deadly force situation. So with that, I respect that, that, uh, that, that motor, that Mary queen unit. And, but I, I would say that if there's takeaways to take from it, like I would say with any debrief, I try to look for something. I would say one, Put out a backup, not an additional unit. Know your agency's policies. Yeah. Two, a um, little bit more command presence. You know, not. I'm not saying yell at them, but I'm just saying be a little bit more assertive. Try to de-escalate the situation, which you did. Um, but obviously, there's not much to pull away from it other than he did a really good job, stellar job on the on the uh, the tasing. Um, good job. I know why you didn't go hands on at the beginning. Uh, you didn't have anybody there. Um, instead of the additional unit, you, you did good on the, the radio. Right. I would just say, put the fucking backup out because your agency's policies is going to, is going to, uh, yep. hinder you already, from getting yeah. people there, especially during, uh, three 30 in the afternoon, three 45 in the afternoon, shit's packed. I'll put the backup out, allow the officers to be able to get there in a fast time. As soon as you get the suspect under control code for it, everyone's accounted for it, downgrade everybody, whatever this, the other, uh, incident with the, with the officer to try to take something away from that is, Hey, don't get too close. Have more command presence and watch those fucking hands and be a little bit more assertive and have them turn around, pull their hands down. If they don't want to do so, handcuff the motherfucker. And mm-hmm. if he doesn't want to go along with the program, now you know you have someone that is not going to go. It's, it's going to, you need to start putting out your yeah. backups. You need to start doing all that good shit. But good job on the officer for staying alive, putting on a tourniquet, applying yep. a tourniquet after he's been shot, putting out good traffic and putting uh, good effective rounds downrange. So kudos to both. You did a stellar job. Thank you for doing what you do. And since we don't have a guest, I thought I would take a moment to um, make the dedication in this episode. We don't normally do dedications on debriefs, but something happened within the last 24 hours that um, strikes a chord with both Chuck and I. Um, uh, L.A. County Sheriff's Department is investigating a shooting inside a bar in a a city just north of Los Angeles called Santa Clarita. Uh, I grew up in Santa Clarita. I know deputies who work in Santa Clarita. Uh, I have a connection to the area and um, deputy Jonathan Buchan, uh, I believe is his last name. Uh, he went into a local bar and uh, where I assume he was drinking until about one 30 in the morning and then shot himself committed suicide in the bar. 33 years old. He served two tours in Afghanistan during his four year stint in the Marine Corps. And he had three years with the department. Uh, he was, uh, an honor recruit for his graduating class. And he graduated from the LA County Sheriff's Academy in 2020. So if you're graduating 
with the honor recruit status it means you're pretty squared away. This guy was this guy's Marine, two tours. Guy was squared away. Um, at this time, they're not authorized to release particular other information. So I don't want to. I don't want to speak out of school. Um, but you can all under you can all guess as to what the reasons might be, um, because we all know why these things can happen to people, whether it's the job or whether it's your personal life. Um, if you're struggling, get help because this is, this is a Marine veteran who is a combat vet who got through the Academy with distinction and probably had a very, very brilliant career in law enforcement ahead of him. Um, but the combination of whatever was going on in his life and the alcohol that night caused him to, you know, commit suicide. And mm-hmm. that is never the answer. Um, and I'm, I, as much as I hate seeing cops killed in the line of duty, I hate seeing cops and veterans kill themselves even more because man, the felon that's taking your life is you at that point. And right. there's, there's other ways. So, um, you know, I hope whatever it is that this deputy was struggling with, um, man, I just, it's one of those things where I, I hope he's at peace from, from whatever that is. I just wish that he had found another way to deal with it and had reached out to his brothers and his sisters and, uh, realized that this, this wasn't the answer, but, um, I wasn't there and I wasn't in his shoes. So I can't say I just breaks my heart. Mm. So anyway, that's all I wanted to say. It's sad because we can all see ourselves a little bit inside that young officer. Yep. I mean, I can tell you that both Chuck and I have been to the exact bar where this Mm -hmm. occurred. We have been down those exact streets. We have been around that exact area with friends like it this is this could very was it one of my friends no could it have very easily been one of my friends yes Mm -hmm. and so any any officer or veteran that takes their own life is a brother or sister but this just happens to have been uh, a lot closer to home and so i just wanted to take a minute to highlight um or i guess to to dedicate this episode to him and uh Hope he finds some peace. So rest easy, brother. We've got it from here. And if you're struggling, you're not struggling alone. So reach out. Exactly. Right. Talk to someone. All right, Chuck. Helps. Why don't you take us home after <clears throat> terrible? Right. Well, thank you all today for listening. If you like today's podcast, please go follow us on our Instagram at war underscore stories underscore official and our Facebook at war stories podcast. If you already follow us, please share our post and our info. You can also go to the link in our bio on Instagram and Facebook to reach all of our socials, our media, and our website, and our emails um, to book a podcast. Our podcast has all major podcasting platforms, as well as on our YouTube. If you want to support us, please go to our website at www.warstoriesofficial.com. <clears throat> if you have a, if you want to be featured on our show or have a story you want to share, please go to booking.warstories at gmail.com. Again, it's also in the link in our bio, and send me your story and I can get you booked. We are looking for law enforcement, corrections officers, dispatchers, firefighters, medics, and veterans, as well as 
um, dispatchers. I think I already said that, but if you have a friend who you think would be a great fit, let them know about us and give them our booking email. Again, thank you for the support. Stay safe. And uh, if you've reached out to us on social media, my answer is always the same. We're totally interested in having you send the email to Chuck. There's some of you that I know because I talked to Chuck and I said, hey, did you get an email from this guy? And you guys were like, you had some great like ideas and you had some some great stuff you wanted to share. And we were, we were like, yeah, cool. And then you either forgot or got scared or whatever, but you didn't email Chuck. You got to email Chuck. He does all the scheduling. So yeah. um, you know who you are. And until our next episode, come home with your shield or on it.